Oh, yeah. Welcome back to the Generators Podcast with me, Trent McClellan. It's uh, episode 66. Welcome back to the pod here on the uh, Comedy Here Often Podcast Network. Um, what's going on? How are you? Are you doing well? Are you getting through these crazy, crazy times we're living in? Um, on, uh, you know what I thought about today? I thought about how unique these times are for us. And if you're healthy and if your family are healthy, that we need to kind of embrace this and go, you know what? We'll maybe never, ever see this again in our lifetime and kind of just let it in. Like this is the experience we've been given and let it in, you know, and try and make the most of it. That's all we can do. Be smart and try and make the most of it. Um, I'm recording again today from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, Earth. Uh, this is episode 66, okay, with my guest Joshua Green. Uh, I'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, what about you're like you're saying to yourself, Trent, what have you been up to since last week? Okay. And by the way, big thanks to everybody who listened to the episode with Bob Saget last week. Uh, thanks for all the feedback on that and glad you guys enjoyed it. Um, that was a fun one to do, and um, Bob was a great guest, as I knew he would be, and uh, I'm glad folks got some uh, got some entertainment out of it, you know, some value, a few laughs, if you will, a few chuckles. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? We need that to end off 2020, okay? Because it's been a shit show. Who are we kidding? Absolute shit show. Remember that grade you you had in school that was your worst year? Do you remember that? Even if school was a breeze for most people, there was a year where you're like, man, that phew, didn't think I was going to get through that. That was a shit show. I had a couple of those years. I would say grade seven, um, grade six, grade nine. I don't recall it being overly easy. Um, but after that, I kind of found my way to uh, to average, you know. Figured it out. Well, that's what 2020 has been. That year where you're like, man, I don't know if I can do that. This was the year you got acne. Remember that year? Your face just exploded. You're like, what is this? What the hell happened? What is going on? How much more do I need to wash my face? How much Clearasil can I apply to make this go away? Turns out no amount. Okay, it was a just a hormonal thing, but you didn't know that, you know, you thought you could fix it. What a great product. Hmm? Clearasil. They're like, oh, yeah, we take care of acne. No, you don't. You know what takes care of it? Time. Okay. Time. Right. But you don't know. You're just applying it thinking, oh, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to have a perfect face. Nope. Nope. Same face, just with stuff on it now. Now you got stuff on top of the stuff you already had. You're just layering stuff on top of that thing. That's what you're doing. Anyway, that's what 2020 has been so far, you know? Just an absolute gong show. And let me tell you something. This is something that drives me nuts, and it's been a problem, and no one's talking about it. But I'm going to talk about it right now, okay? If you're out there in the world, and you're driving a car... That makes a ridiculously loud amount of noise. You should have to pay more for registration or insurance. I'm saying that. There's no need for your car to be that loud. No one's impressed by you. Nobody. No one likes having to stop a conversation as they're walking down the road because you're just have a car that sounds like it backfires every six seconds and is stupidly loud. Nobody likes it. And there's no need for it. There's absolutely no need for it. We could all do that. We could all just have our cars modified to make a sound like a cannon every five seconds. Why? What was, what's the point? So I'm proposing you pay a little more for registration insurance. Or we give people tickets if your car is too loud. You don't need to have eardrum breaking exhaust or the hell you have going on. Oh my God, I don't know if it's just a product of getting older, but I can't, I can't bear it anymore. I just, 
2020's already been crazy enough, and now I got to walk down the road and some guy, yeah, 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 what? Why? Why? You're in a civic. What do you? There's no need. It's selfish. Okay. You don't need to be doing it. Put a the silencer on that thing. Put a silencer on your muffler. That's what you should do. Should be the first option. Just too damn loud. All right, that's enough. All right. Let me set up this episode of the uh, the podcast here. Um, let's have a wide variety of guests. You know, I get uh, access to comedians all the time, and they're great guests. They're always amazing. And uh, But I like to change it up. I like to go into areas that I don't really know a lot about. And I ask questions that just kind of follow my natural curiosity, you know? So uh, that's what I did uh, with this week's episode. And uh, I talked to Joshua Green, who is the CEO of um, Misa, and they do uh, thermostats for baseboard heating, you know, and based out of Newfoundland, out of St. John's, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. And they've had quite the rise in the last couple of years. And so I caught wind of these guys and I thought, why don't I... Uh, have a talk with Josh and talk about how we started this business and where it all came from. And he's still a relatively young guy. This is one of those guys that's just so brilliant and so smart. And him and his brother, they start this company, you know? And I'm like, man, when I was that guy's age, I was still, again, trying to figure out how to get hickory sticks out of a vending machine for free. Okay? Meanwhile, this guy's like, oh, I'm going to develop a smart thermostat, you know, and change how that world looks. Like, well, good. Okay. And meanwhile, I'm trying to get cheesies out of a vending machine hotel in a hotel. I, I just, anyway, it's humbling to me. Anyway, I uh, had a great chat with Josh and uh, you're going to learn a lot about entrepreneurship, a lot about how he started his business, how he went about it. And uh, I learned a ton in this one. So, um, all right, sit back or lean forward or stand up or go for a walk, get on your bike, get on a treadmill. I don't know what else to tell you. Okay. But either way, enjoy my chat with Joshua Green. I am joined by Joshua Green. Joshua, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, with no snow on the ground as of yet. I don't know what's, what's, it, what's it like in St. John's right now. Well, that's the same thing. It's beautiful, sunny, and it's like 12 degrees outside. So it's awesome. This makes me feel guilty for not um, exercising outside. So today I was guilted into doing a jog. I'm like, there was absolutely no excuse whatsoever. So I uh, I threw it on. And I mean, I went I went hard for seven minutes. And I think when you're going at that clip, you know, that's that should be more than enough. I think you know what I mean. Very good. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so tell me a little bit about the company, the, the kind of the idea behind, um, Miso, where it started and, uh, yeah, let's go from there. Sure. Well, I'll just start at the highest level and we can kind of maybe dive in a little bit deeper, but so Misa is the name of a company that I started, uh, about four years ago now. And, uh, today Misa is a company of 76 people all located here in St. John's, Newfoundland, and we build smart thermostats. And uh, the thing that's uh, new and uh, exciting about our smart thermostats when they first came on the market back in 2018 was they were smart thermostats for a type of heating system called electric baseboard heating, which is really popular here in Newfoundland. Uh, and uh, one in three homes across Canada have this type of heating system. And just, to, be, just, time, to, just, just to clarify, those are the same heaters that make that tink tink like they do that little clicking sound sometimes where you turn them up is that, that's the same heaters everyone knows yeah they, they typically can sometimes if they got uh, pieces of metal up up close to them but yeah. uh, those are those are the types of heaters are typically on the outside wall underneath the window perhaps and yeah. what's unique about them is you have a thermostat in every single room that's actually controlling that heater so uh so yeah so it's a it's a very common type of heating system but crazy back in uh, 2016 there was no smart thermostats at all that worked with these baseboard heaters and so people were left to use dial thermostats or or maybe they had some programmable thermostats 
but that was the only options to control them. And uh, one of the nasty things about electric-based floor heating is that it's quite expensive depending on how price of electricity. Right. So uh, people didn't have great ways for making sure that they were being as energy efficient as possible and not wasting energy. And so um, that was basically the birth of the idea. And now fast forward, we've went and built the, the product and, and now we've shipped over 100,000 of these thermostats across Canada and the U.S. And helping tens of thousands of homeowners uh, take control of their baseboard heating. Insane. Insane. It's interesting because uh, I fell into an episode of Dragon's Den last night and uh, you, nice. know, you, you, yeah, you watch these folks go up and, and pitch an idea. And one of the things, like I don't come from a business background, you know, like I went to Memorial University, but I did history and English and then had a job, you know, jobs working with children and community centers and that kind of stuff. And then I went into you know, the entertainment world, right? So, but I never looked at myself as an entrepreneur. I thought of myself as like, I'm an artist who's a creator. And then you realize to have longevity in this career, you need to take on somewhat of a business mindset. So I've been far more interested in like the entrepreneurial life and those things. But when I watch shows like Dragon's Den, I, I often think these people who are pitching, they need to present a problem first, an actual yeah. problem that other people believe exists. And if you can't sell the concept of the problem, then investors are just like, well, what? that's not a real problem for enough people for look for a viable market. But when I look at yeah. something like this, and you're right, you talk about heating costs in Newfoundland. Like I remember my grandparents' heating bills were through the roof when I, you know, I was born and raised in Corner Brook, spent a lot of time in St. John's and rented places. Heating was insane. So you had no problem, I would imagine, you know, showing that there was an actual problem. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, finding a, a tangible problem that people had in their day to day and then coming up with a solution, right? So it's like, I've, I give this advice to some entrepreneurs. It's like, once you find that product market fit, like right. once you found that, you got the problem and then you got the solution. Like that's the magic. Once you got those two pieces and everything becomes easier once you've nailed that product market fit. Yeah, exactly. And people say that is something that could make my life easier. That that product can improve my life or save me money. Whatever it is, it solves some problem in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's right. Because the idea on its own is just uh, that's fantastic and amazing technology. But what problem is it solving? And if it can't do that, then you're you're kind of in trouble. So you get this idea, but was there entrepreneurial spirit in you from the get go? Like, where did you did you have other businesses before? Like, walk me back a little bit through. You know, childhood, early years. Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, kind of growing up, I think um, there was definitely like opportunities. And, and I remember some memories of like my my dad, uh, who's a big influence in my life, uh, of course. And he's kind of helping me be aware of what entrepreneurship was. And he didn't, well, he wasn't an entrepreneur himself, but his father owned a little store out in, um, it was in uh, Bay Vert, Newfoundland. So he had a little convenience store. And so that was my grandfather. And so I, there was a little bit of entrepreneurial spirit from him, kind of skipped over my dad, but yeah. my dad definitely kind of made it aware to me and uh, encouraged me to do lots of things. And I didn't have a lemonade stand, but I do remember making these like wooden figurines out of like four by four posts or something. I found like there was like a whole bunch of four by four posts in my backyard uh, when I was probably like six or seven years old and worked with my dad to like make these like dog shaped things. And then I would bring them out into the street and try and do like a, a yard sale or an auction with the neighbors. And I legit like remember this at like, yeah, I was probably six or seven years old. Um, so that was a little bit of an entrepreneurial thing back then. But uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, kind of going through high school and then into university, I did was drawn to that, hey, it'd be really cool to actually have your own business. And um yeah, so I, basically, right out of university, I uh, I didn't even apply to any jobs after graduation. It was wow. just directly into entrepreneurship and and really was directly into this business that we have today. So, I, so I mentioned Misa, but actually, that's the the name and the brand of the company. But there's a there's a company that called Empowered Homes is actually the the name of the actual corporation, and that's the company that I started right out of university. And uh, it was actually a consulting gig going into people's homes to, to recommend how they could do more efficient things in their home. So I was doing this full inspection of their house right from the crawl space all the way up to the attic. And I was crawling around in the insulation. I had this thermal imaging camera to help people identify heat loss. So I was that type of person. 
And uh, I did about 30 or so of those uh, here across Newfoundland. And it was through that experience of just being the energy auditor that I found this opportunity for the thermostats. And then from that, got my brother on board, who's my co-founder. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. But uh, <laughs> then we pivoted to doing the thermostats full time. That's amazing. That's amazing. So you kind of just stumble into it a little bit um, in terms of identifying a problem. Absolutely. And uh, I, another piece of advice that I give to, to some entrepreneurs or anyone who's interested in business, as I say, if you can just do something to put yourself out there, like it might very rarely is the first thing you're going to do going to be like the thing that you then go on to spend <laughs> the rest of your half your career doing, right? It's not right. Like, but if you can put yourself out there, you, you're increasing the probability that you might come across an opportunity. So, uh, and there was right. this quote that I heard from somebody the best way to be in business is to just be in business. It's just like, just do it and get into business and you're going to find an opportunity if you stick it out long enough. Yeah, so true. And I, because the same thing applies to entertainment and a career in, in comedy, for example, you know, it takes so much longer than you think. And it always takes yeah. way more work than you think. And so much of it is just trial and error and getting up again the next day and going again. It, it's It's not this rosy thing. Cause I think there's a real gloss on entrepreneurship right now. And in, even in entertainment, it's like, Oh, it must be great to be a comedian or an actor or to have your own business. But no one really understands unless you're in it, the grind and the work and the terror sometimes that must go through you. You're like, Oh man, we're, we're doing this right. Like this is tomorrow we launch this thing. So you must have had your fair share of those moments. of like, Oh God, are we, this is tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to, okay. All right. I got to sign that check. All right. You know, have you had, I'm sure you've had the buttons of those moments. Have you? Absolutely. I mean, so it's like, I mean, there was a couple I remember that stick out to me. So I remember just even starting a business, right? A couple thousand dollars to go get registered or whatever. So you're like, all right, well, I'm taking my own money. I'm going to plow $2,000 and to go registering the company. So, I mean, that was one moment or going and signing a lease with a landlord to rent out like 3,000 square feet. Like, yeah. oh, well, now I'm, I'm <laughs> committed now to 12 months of this lease space. So I better make you of <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I got to figure this out. I guess I got me a business. All right. Let's uh, anyone know what we do from here. I think that's part of it too, right? Of, you know, you don't necessarily have it all figured out. I think that's something that I realized too early on was that I don't know what the next five years looks like or 10 years. All I know is here's my plan for the week or tomorrow. And you just kind of take it a step at a time. You don't need to have it all kind of mapped out and figured out. Like, have you, have you kind of operated somewhat that way where it's kind of like you just got to win the day, win the day, win the day? 100%. That's absolutely been my life. <laughs> and, and, and that's tough for some people though, right? And I'm, so I guess I'm really fortunate to have a lot of support people around me to, to help me get through those, those moments. But uh, I guess uh, I've come to realize that like, I, I'm totally okay with that. I'm, I can live in the gray. I can live in optionality. And like, that's fine to me. And actually I'm probably the other way. I'm like, I don't like locking into like, Oh, this is exactly what I will be doing in the next five years. Like yeah. that actually scares me more than the optionality piece. Yeah. It, yeah. It's the predictability where you just get kind of like, oh, really? I already know that's what's going to be going on. I don't, I don't really like the feel of that. Um, that's the thing. I, it's funny because that advice is the same thing I've told comedians. Like failure is not fatal at all. It's, it's all about the story you tell yourself. I mean, there's people who have tried to go off and do their own tours and the tours haven't sold well. And then they've told themselves, well, that's not for me. I'm never doing that again. Whereas I think the comedians that have a longer career and go on to have some measure of success, it's about taking the failure and learning from it and saying, okay, well, what, what did I do wrong? What can I adjust? What can I change? And then you reload with all that information and data and experience, and then you go again. And I think I would imagine in business as well, like there are failures along the way, but none can be such that they're fatal, whether it's financially or in terms of the story you tell yourself, you take the data and you reload and you go again. Absolutely. So powerful. Uh, I mean, so we, we, that helped me in the early days, but even now to just, as we've been scaling up, um, this is maturing and growing and we've got 75 people now, 76. It's like we've act one of our core values. Um, so it used to be continuous improvement, kind of not that inspiring. We came up with this, we just call it AGB. AGB stands for always getting better. And so whenever there is an opportunity 
to, to improve something, whether it was a failure or maybe it was like a moderate success, but you still know that you could have done it way better. It's just ingrained in our culture now, AGB moment right there. And we right. just, it's just called out continuously. And I think it's a great mindset, always getting better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always work to do. There's always room to improve. When I, in my early years in stand-up, I, uh, Newfoundland Comedy Festival was, was still going on. And they asked me to do a workshop for over two days, teaching people about, you know, stand-up comedy. Now, some had had some experience, some had none. And at the end of the two days, they would go on to perform at a show in front of like family, friends, whatever, you know. So you had varying levels of experience, but I found it really kind of exciting that these people who were eager to learn about stand-up and the art of it, want to learn about joke writing and, you know, performance and all that stuff. And uh, at the end of the two days, so in between the last session and the show that was going to happen that night, I said, when you leave here, you're going to go back out into that world with your family and friends, and they are going to fill your head with terror and fear and stuff like, I never do what you're going to do. Oh my God. If I got up there, I, oh, what if nobody laughs? If my, like they're just going to project all of their fear onto you. And I said, your job is to remember these two days, everything we've talked about, understand that you're a performer and that that's why they're in the audience because you are different than them. But hold on to that between now and eight o'clock yeah. tonight or, I, or we'll, I'll lose you. I literally will lose yeah. you. Like you won't show up or you'll at the last second. For you, starting your own business, were there those moments where people said, Josh, sorry, but that's, that's not, dude, what are you doing? Are you serious? No one around here is going to be interested in that. Like, did you have that gap of just getting to the stage time? You know, honestly, very little. And I think, I don't know what it's, maybe it's the, the community and the environment here in Newfoundland, but I had really little of that. Like, I, mean, I, can, I can do remember a couple. But overwhelmingly, I think it was the opposite of people, just so much encouragement uh, at all levels. It was, uh, yeah, I've had very little of that, actually. That's awesome. That's great. Um, Because I feel like if people get that, I think it's really challenging, too, when it comes from people you really trust and love and who love you and want the best for you. If you've got that person who's whispering that in your ear, it's really hard to quiet all that noise and just listen to your own own, intuition and convictions. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there in the world who may have an idea or something they want to go into, but the noise is just too loud. The negative noise is too loud. And so they can't block it all out enough to then step into it and fully immerse themselves in this new thing that they want to do and try. And I feel bad for those people because I know what that's like. I know what it's like to to feel like everyone thinks you're crazy to go off and do that, to walk away from a stable thing that you know and trust and go take this chance on something that may or may not work. It, it, that's got to be terrifying for people. Absolutely. And and you need to have, like, you need to be fully committed to it, right? Like you can't be, it's so hard if you go one foot in, one foot out. You just got to be committed to it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I remember I had a day job and I would gig on the weekends, you know, and I, I've said this a few times on the podcast, but my goal was just to be the guy who doesn't have to go to the day job anymore. And I thought, regardless of how much money I make or fame or no fame, if I don't have to go do that anymore and I just get to be a comedian full time, I will have won. I will have thought like this was a success for me because this is what I feel I'm meant to do. And the day I got to do that, I always felt that way. I didn't really have a tangible goal of money or whatever. And it sounds all romantic and whatever, but that was really how I approached things, you know, like for you as a company, obviously, you know, you, you have to, you know, look at the, the finances of the company and stuff. What was a measure of success for you? How are you, how are you gauging that early on? Yeah. So, uh, the reason that I really kind of started the, the company, uh, was, I guess, kind of going to something I'm super passionate about, which is, uh, the environment, uh, right. and specifically really fighting climate change. I had some really impactful professors um, at Dalhousie in my last two years of my engineering degree who kind of opened my eyes and to this massive challenge, but then also like encouraged me to like look at it, all the opportunities that the challenges presented. And so that really was like what started the whole business. And so I was all about my goal was to try and help people fight climate change. And so in the most immediate way, that's how I got into that energy auditing business. I knew that I was helping homeowners lower their environmental footprint. So that was like the big motivator. And the same thing applies right to the thermostats. And even to this day, Mises purpose, our reason for existing 
is to help homeowners be more energy efficient and ultimately at the end of the day, try and fight climate change. And so like, that's been the measure really for me. And like, I, I, I would do this for free if it just meant that I was helping people fight climate change. Right. 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 Do you think, cause this, I've had this debate with a bunch of different people. Do you think everyone has a purpose that everyone there is that thing that they were meant to do that they're supposed to do. My take on it is I think everyone has that, but it's a real whisper. It's not a thing that slaps them in the face every morning. It's something that if we could just quiet again, all that noise, that it would be very apparent to them. But the rest, they take in all the outside stuff and what their dad thinks they should do and their friends. And you just lose it in all that chaos. I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. I, I definitely think so. Um, but I would say that I don't even think it's like, it's one thing, like, a, it's, it's, it's often probably more than that. Uh, but, but people most often can't even find the one thing because of all the noise and the chaos and not taking the risks and not following really what they're meant to do. Um, because I mean, even if I think about myself, so the environmental piece is one, but like, I feel like I got so much more in me of other things that I want to do, let's say after Misa or whatever. Um, and so I, I think there people, there's people, um, can go after things that they don't think that they could do. They have the cap, they have the capacity. I know that I think that's something people underestimate their own capacity to do right. something. Um, but, uh, I, I definitely think that, uh, there, everyone has at least something that they can get excited about and, 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 can, and contribute to, if not more than one. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. I think you're right. There's a number of different ways you can, you can find that purpose and impact the world as a whole. Um, so you, you create this, this thermostat. Now, how do you let the world know about it? How do you go from now? Okay. It's ready. Now we need to get it out to the masses and hope that this thing takes on. What was that process like for you? And I'm assuming somewhat terrifying, or maybe you're just the guy who's like, no, I know it's going to work. Slept like a baby last night. It was amazing. (laughs) What was that day like? Yeah. So this is where uh, I'm going to start bringing Zach. So Zach is my co-founder. He's my brother. He's younger than me by three years. So he had to be your but, co-founder. You had no choice. You're like, this is it. He's <laughs> this guy. I got to share meals with this guy. This is... Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's a lot wiser than me in a lot of areas. And the, and the one area that he really... This was pivotal for the business. Um, so I'm just kind of the more the techie guy. And I built prototypes of the thermostats and all that kind of stuff. But he was the one who figured out actually how to demonstrate that there was a market for this. And so what we did was we were, we were thinking about doing, I'm sure you heard of this Kickstarter platform or yep. Indiegogo. We were thinking about doing a Kickstarter campaign because it would have been a way to gauge the interest for the product. Um, for a couple of different reasons, we, we ended up not doing the official kind of Kickstarter platform, but we essentially did like a, a Kickstarter on our own website. So basically, Zach made this beautiful looking web page. We put up some pictures of what the thermostat might look like, what the problem it was solving, how much it was going to cost. And then he just tied a little pre-order e-commerce plugin to the website. And then he went and figured out how to do Google ads and Facebook ads to drive people to the website. So he has an engineering degree, mechanical engineering degree. And he figured out all of this just by watching YouTube videos. It's like, Amazing. Yeah. So he does this website. He spends, I don't know, five, six hundred dollars on Google ads to drive some people to the website. And there was like quiet for like maybe, I don't know, three or four weeks. Not a single pre-order came in. And then uh all of a sudden, this random person, I think it was maybe like Connecticut or something, complete stranger orders five thermostats from us. And we're just like, what? Somebody actually ordered it. <laughs> and then like the next day, another stranger. And so over a period of, um, I think it was like three months, we, uh, we sold 500 thermostats, just pre-ordered. Like this didn't exist. We just Amazing. said, hey, put your credit card information in. Here's what the product is going to look like. We're going to ship it to you in 12 months from now. And we collected pre-orders. And so over that 12 months, we actually pre-sold three quarters of a million dollars of thermostats. Over 12 months. 
over a 12 month period. So we started basically taking pre-orders for like it in December of 2016. And by December of 2017, we had essentially raised and collected three quarters of a million dollars towards this thermostat that at this point still doesn't exist yet. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. But what you're right. What a great way to get to gauge interest when people are like, yes, here, take my money. I definitely want one of those. And that is a problem that I want solved. Yeah, absolutely. And and so uh, we did actually one thing, a little bit twist on it was we did the pre-orders, but we used the way that we did the pre-orders. We actually didn't take people's money until we shipped them the product. So right. pe- people were putting their credit card details in, they saw how much it was going to cost and they authorized us to charge the credit cards once it shipped. Um, so we actually didn't have any money, but the beauty of it, because now we demonstrated that there was a need for the product, we were able to do the whole investor thing, the Dragon's Den thing, and approach the local investors here in Newfoundland. And they were like blown away by these pre-orders that we were getting. And we were able to raise our first investment. Um, and that investment money is what allowed us to actually go build the products. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Fascinating. Um I'm wondering about because you said the first few weeks you have no hits whatsoever. Like take yeah. me back, take me back to those first few weeks because this is the part where I think I really believe this. I think people learn from other people's downtimes more so than they learn from the successful times because I feel like most people can relate to being in the valley. It's really hard when you haven't found your thing yet to relate to being at the top of the mountain and look, it all turned out and it was magical. But the valley time, tell me about those couple of weeks where like stuff's up. Uh, wow, you're refreshing. Nothing. You're refreshing. There's nothing. Like, were there doubts at that time where they're like, man, what have we done? This is not taken off the way we thought. Or was that too early a, a um, section of time to even have any worry or stress? I mean, it was pretty early. And I, like I said, so Zach was the one who was kind of taking the lead on it. And I was for better or for worse, kind of in my world of like trying to actually build the thing. And, and he yeah. was, uh, and he, we'd actually at this stage, we even still had taken a risk uh, and hired a couple people just to help with uh, building the website and a couple other things. And so they were kind of off trying to build the website and trying to figure out the whole Google ads thing. It's like, is this, Google ad thing even working. Like I just saw, we just spent $125 and it comes up on my visa and I, I don't know what we got for it. <laughs> so like, right. that was a bit, that was pretty scary. Uh, yeah. Spending our own hard on money on ads that were not converting to anything at this point. Um, but they were doing things like seeing, Hey, people go to the website and they scroll through and then they just leave after 30 seconds. And then people would view a little bit more. And um, we, another thing that was also really kind of, I think that was pivotal. We ended up putting a chat bot on the website. Right. And so, and we did this even before the pre-order. So we put this chat bot on. And so people would then talk to us and that was really cool. And this was just Zach being on the other side. It wasn't, sorry, sorry. It wasn't a chat bot. It was a real person. Right. It was just, it was a chat window and Zach was the one responding to it. And so like people would say, Hey, is this a real product? Like, is it going to work with my heaters? Will it have all the same features like my friend's Nest thermostat does? And so we used this like chat interface to like learn and talk to the customers and eventually kept tweaking the website. And, but uh, it was actually, I think like, uh, it was it was Christmas Eve. It was December twenty fourth when the first pre order came in. Amazing! Like, what a nice Christmas present. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's amazing too. Like in your story and and with your brother as well. Like this happens so many. So many people I talk to about their journey is about how you have to take on other skills that you didn't necessarily have. You know, we all want to kind of just apply what we're good at. And this is what I, what I want to do. Like I have friends of mine who are physiotherapists or chiropractors and that's great. That's what they love, but they had to learn this, these amazing other skills to be able to have a business and open up their own clinic and their own practice. And they go, it's even things that they don't necessarily love doing, but they realize it's a necessity to have a successful business. And for you know your brother, it's like, well, I got to figure out these Google ads now and how to do Facebook ads and stuff. You know, like you know, I'm sure there wasn't money to just oh, we can just hire everyone for every single job needed. We can just dole out cash to all these people, and that is a common thread through a lot of people's stories. You know, of of like, well, I guess we just got to figure it out and trust that you will. Just got to figure it out. Yep. So Zach was on that side on the pre-orders, and 
So in addition to me trying to, to build the product, I also had to like do the finances. So I didn't know what it meant to have like a cash flow model. Like, what is that? <laughs> so <laughs> figure that out and, and talk to people. And but I think the the big piece that I learned and like the, the good side of it is that there is so much resources available for people, not only online, but also people in your community are willing to help you. Like that it actually blows my mind how generous people are with their time and like, hey, let me help you out with that. I've I've done that before and I, it's quite easy once you get past it. And I'll show you a couple of things. So, like, absolutely, you just got to figure it out. And the resources and the people around you, there's no reason why you can't figure it out. Yeah, it's funny because when Christine Gowdy was on the podcast a couple of weeks back. That's one of the things she said about when you're following your passion and once you start that momentum of doing your thing, other people then start to gravitate towards you. And I found the same thing in my own career. Like once I fully committed and was all into being a stand-up comedian, it was amazing. The friends that came out and said, Hey, uh, my company's having a, a holiday party and we need some entertainment or Hey, and they would refer me to somebody else. But once you're all in on your thing, people then start coming towards you with their resources and their knowledge because they see something positive happening and they want to be a part of it. And I think that's kind of what you're touching on there. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah. People want to be part of something that's cool and exciting and, and making the world a better place. And uh, yeah, that's definitely been my experience as well. Yeah. Um, so where did you get this first, you know, you touched on the university and, and professors that put you on too problems in the world that needed solving, that there were opportunities there for you to kind of step into. Was there anything else that kind of led you down that road of kind of like looking at the world as a whole and saying, oh yeah, there's there's stuff here that needs a fix and there's stuff here that uh, someone needs to step in and, and provide some solutions for? Um, probably not from that angle, but I just like, I mean, like growing up, um, I was always into tech. Like I I, I just loved tech. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever I could buy that was new and was digital and could, like I had all of, all the different iPhones that I could get. And I, I remember when like Nintendo Wii came out, like going and camping outside Future Shop, like the, the night that <laughs> this new gaming console. Like, so I was just into tech. I loved yeah. tech. And so then it was just so cool to see these two worlds collide, the environmental climate change world and then the tech world. And so you have those two combined. It's just like, wow, now I got two things that I'm super passionate about and it's all combined, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's weird too. I mean, I know it's an adage that people use all the time, but it's like, you know, the more you know, the the, the more you realize you don't know everything, you know? Like it's right. it's such a big world. And every time in my life, I mean, I look at, for example, I look at university students now and I see them walking down the street here in Halifax with their, you know, St. Mary's backpacks on and Dow. And I go... That's a kid. That's that's an actual kid. But I remember when I was in university, I thought I'm an adult. I've got a bill in my name. I have I have uh, you know I live in a place that uh, I buy groceries now. Like I thought I had my shit figured out, and I was like, and you realize like I knew nothing. I knew absolutely nothing, and then I realized that actually doesn't go away. Like as we get older, you still realize there's so much to learn and so much to gather. Mm. And the other thing I realized, which I love about my job now as a comedian actor, but also podcasting, so many things are, are translatable across professions, you know, where you can go, yeah. you can learn from a musician or someone who's in tech or a journalist about their journey and somehow they approach something. And you can take that and kind of apply it to your own, you know, to your own world. I don't know if you've done much of that yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, the one that resonates with me a lot, that's a uh, obviously shared is uh, for all people, right? And everything is relationships. And yeah. that, that's every single day I'm figuring more and more about piece out, right? How, how do you successfully work with another human being? How do you build trust with another person? How do you get a group of five human beings to build trust and work together, right? And that just yes. spans every walk of life, whatever anything you're doing is involving other people, uh, at least in most cases. Right. And so that, uh, and you're learning that every single day. Yeah. Yeah. You will learn it every single day, probably until you die, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day about that, actually about, I think in order to be successful in life and business in general, I think you need a, a combination of confidence in what you do, but also an equal amount of humility. 
you know, like it's got to have, it's got to be one, two, one, two, like, so you, you really believe in what you're doing, but at the same time, you realize you do not know it all. You can learn from other people and it's okay to also admit when you're wrong. Like when you mess up, it's okay to go put your hand up and say, yeah, I, we, I did not handle that well or didn't do that right. And I think when you do that, other people mirror that. People on your team will mirror that and go, okay, so accountability is a real thing here. It's not just something we have written in our mission statements. You know, it's, it's actually, a, we live this, you know? And because for you, it's one thing to build a company, but now you have a crew of people. You have this, like, how has that been for you in terms of managing people? The like most amazing experience ever. And I'm so lucky. To, I mean, like, I, looking back five years ago, it's it's actually hard to envision like that would have been the opportunity that I had. But it's been such an amazing experience. I've loved. It. I mean, there's been certainly some hard times, but in general, it's just been a phenomenal experience. There's there's nothing better than like getting other people bought into the same mission that you're trying to do and see them overcome challenges and see them have wins and successes. Um, and, uh, and seeing the collaboration happen, like it's, it's so rewarding. Yeah, I'm sure. Now I want to touch back on, um, you know, your relationship with your brother, because on paper that can go, Oh, family business. <laughs> look at us. We're amazing. I know. Yeah. I know. You know what I mean? But I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was, um, these two female co-founders of a company and they said they actually go to counseling on a regular basis because they wow. said in a real relationship, sometimes you need to go and clear the air and you need a third party to help you. Have you guys gone to counseling? Have you sat down and said, you know what? I'll tell you, when you do this, when you, with the, the pen, it drives me absolutely batty. Can you not do that? Or is it been, no, we, we, we figured it out. We do that. We don't go to counseling. We do it just so there's, there's three, there's three reasons why Zach and I work great together that I've kind of codified over the years. Starts off with, we both share the same values. And that's so important. I, I guess that comes from our parents, how the way that they raised us, but we both share the same values. And I think that's really important because at the end of the day, everything hard times, especially will boil down to what, what are the values? How do so we share the same values is super important, but what we are different on is like our unique skill sets. And so his brain thinks a certain way and my brain thinks, thinks a, a different way. Right. And so when it comes to like that tactile stuff and specific things, we have complementary skill sets. So we're not like stepping over each other's toes. So that's good. And then the third one to your point about the communication is like we have full complete transparency and honesty uh, with each other. And we will call each other out every single time when we need to support each other when we need to. So we have complete full yeah, transparency and communication between the three of us. But, but those three things in general, it's like uh, really important. And then I think why it's worked well. Yeah, it sounds like you got clarity there. And I think sometimes in those partnerships, there isn't clarity. It's kind of like, like, uh, roles haven't been defined, values haven't been defined, and people are just kind of winging it. And I think you're right. Yeah. It's somewhat of a firm framework that it's got to be in here. We got to agree to these things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I find, you know, when I look at places I worked before I, you know, got into entertainment and stuff, and you realize people have different leadership styles. There are people who I think were leaders, which I find interesting because sometimes people get promoted to a leadership position, but it was only because they were really good in, in one job that they did. They did a task very well. And someone went, we're going to promote you to management, which is a completely different thing of like, no, no, that doesn't mean they're good at like leading people. It just means they were good at this one task that they did daily. And now you're asking them to do something that's completely different. But it seems like the corporate world works that way a lot. But I remember the people that I respected the most were the leaders who would put their hand up and say, Hey, I screwed up. You know, like I yeah. did not handle that well. And it, I think it did lead to accountability for everybody else that was under them. It was like, okay, that's a real thing. Again, that's something we're really doing and there will be no passing the buck. We're not going to bullshit each other. It's like, boom. Yeah. And then things are dealt with quickly and you don't waste time. You, you move on quickly to what the next thing is, but we're not, well, no, you said you're going to send the email. I didn't say I was going to send the email. You said, I, do we have, can someone read back? Like, it's just like you know, when the person knows, they know, yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to send the email. But you, everyone's fearful. Yeah. People walk around in terror all the time. But it sounds like you're trying to create an environment where it's like, no, accountability is cool. Or we can have these conversations and there's not, 
you know, dire, you know, consequences as a result. Absolutely. Letting, letting things like fester, like that's the worst. Like you're just wasting time. Things just build up and it's like, just do without that. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. It is. You're right. It just, it just, it's a wait after a while. Um, talk about tech in Newfoundland right now. You know, like I, I grew up in Cornerbrook and lived in St. John's for a bunch of years and I haven't lived in Newfoundland for about 17 years, you know? And so I like to touch base with my friends who are still working there, have their own businesses and kind of get a, a pulse as to, to what the world is like back there in that regard. So for tech in Newfoundland now, you see what's going on with other companies there, Verifin in different places. Um, what's the vibe there right now? It's uh, it's an amazing vibe. Um, so I, I'm so fortunate to be here, and I, I guess I kind of watched it evolve. So I, I lived in Halifax for a, a good extent of time, and then I moved back to Newfoundland in 2013. So I've been here now for seven years, um, and so I've, I've seen, I guess, the community evolve. But actually, uh, for the first two years of the business, I was. Uh, just trying to go it alone, which was a terrible thing. I had no idea that there was even a tech community or I didn't know there was like incubators like Genesis uh, around to like actually help people out. And so I was bumping along, doing my own thing and just kind of not getting anywhere, nowhere with it. And it was actually Zach who then said, Josh, Genesis is at Mon. And they're like a great way for us to talk to people in the tech uh, ecosystem and uh, here in Newfoundland, so we became a part of Genesis, and that really just then completely opened the doors just to see how much uh, of a community was already here. And then, like I said, over the last five years, it's just continued to become this amazing uh, place that it is now. And there's lots of amazing companies, so Christine's company, uh, Colab, and Breathe Suite, and a bunch of others, um, and, and Verifin, of course, they've been out way out front leading the charge and they've inspired every one of us. And so the one thing that I think is just, at least from talking to a couple other entrepreneurs like across Canada and even talking to some entrepreneurs down in the States, there's this really like um, positive and like collaborative um, sense here in Newfoundland where I think all of the entrepreneurs and all the startups here want all of the other entrepreneurs and all the other startups to succeed. There is no competition. There's no, oh, well, uh, yeah, it's just such a positive mindset. And I, nice. I think that's really cool. Like we're always trying to encourage each other. Um, if, if one company's got a challenge, like we've got uh, communication lines where this person can reach out and say, hey, I'm having troubles with this. Has anyone also experienced it? And often there's like three people with their hands up. Hey, I've done that. Here's, here's my experience with it. So uh, right. there's just a, an amazing ecosystem here. And I think it's still in its infancy and I'm so bullish about how uh, much it's going to grow and contribute to Newfoundland's uh, economy here. Yeah. It's amazing too, because in the comedy world, I walked in with the same notion too of like, okay, this is a singular thing and it's me against the world. And then I realized that those relationships with other comedians and bookers and things were so important and someone gave me a piece of advice when I first started. They said, other comedians will get comedians work more than anybody else. So someone either giving you a tip or, hey, here's the email to this booker who books you know, two weeks of shows. And I, I realized it was so true. It was more profound uh, advice than anyone's ever given me, I think, really, because I thought, oh, this is really important then, these relationships and rooting on other people and cheering other people on. And it's interesting to see that it goes across all sorts of different mediums and all sorts of different jobs, you know, is that, that sense of community and that, you know, in entertainment, one of my friends described it as there's more, there's more than one bus to Hollywood, right? So if, if the bus comes and that wasn't your bus, it's like another bus is coming in 15 minutes. You know, like the fact that they got on the bus doesn't mean you're not getting on the bus. It's like, just, just wait, literally wait 15 minutes and here comes another bus. So things are not that precious. And it's, I'm glad to hear that that's kind of the approach back there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just think uh, like, so everyone's super passionate about what they're specifically doing and everyone's like got a specific cause or, or whatever that they're trying to do. But I think we also all kind of share this of like trying to grow the Newfoundland economy here. Yeah, I think it's something that's like it's it's something that we all feel passionate about and proud that hey, not only are we all doing our own thing and we're helping people, uh, and most often 
a lot of the companies here are doing things that are helping people outside of Newfound, right? Like, so Misa, we ship our products across Canada and the US. We do 1% of our sales here in Newfoundland. Um, same thing with like yeah. Colab, right? So, I mean, um, or Breeze Suite, like it's about selling outside of Newfoundland, right? And so, uh, um, but we're all passionate about growing in the Newfoundland economy here because uh, it's not doing too great in general. If you look, yeah. if you zoom really out, if you turn on the news, you might get a negative feel, um, but yep. uh, we're, we're passionate about trying to be some kind of positive light there. Well, yeah, I agree. And I think too, when I spend time in Newfoundland and in my hometown and different parts of the province, I always feel like, you know, sometimes you have to kind of reinvent yourself. You know, there are times when things go away and you have to say, okay, well, that's the reality of the situation. How do we as a city or a town or a province reinvent how we're approaching what we're doing? And maybe that means venturing into new worlds and new um, you know, new new genres of of making a living and new industries, you know. And I feel like I always think of Blockbuster back in the day. I'm sure Blockbuster never thought that thing was going away. It's like we have a business model that's proven it works. What do you mean streaming's coming and people will never have to leave their homes to go get a film? That's insane. And Boomer comes along and there's no more Blockbuster. And I feel like you see that a lot in industry in general. Like if you do not adjust and adapt, or a town or a city doesn't adapt or adjust. They just get run over. And yeah. I really want that from Newfoundland. I really want them to go, okay, here's the weather that's coming. Let's get our umbrella as opposed to waiting to be blasted by the storm and like, whoa, that was that was terrifying. You know, that's why I think tech in Newfoundland to me seems like a, such an exciting thing because it's it almost symbolizes a reinvention of sorts, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. And uh I mean I can say, I mean, so Newfoundland government, provincial government here, uh a lot of people give them a hard time and as they should. Um, but uh, in general, my experience is that the provincial government here in Newfoundland has been very supportive of our tech ecosystem, um, done so much to help so many companies. And uh, I think it's a great thing that the, the provincial government's been doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's good to be open to, to new ideas and new ways of doing things. So for you guys next, you look at where you are now with you know the, the last bunch of months and how the world's turned upside down has that affected your business in any way shape or form or have you found that people are even more you know they're home more and on their computers more and looking for ways to save money it could be something that's kind of improved things how is it how has it affected you and what you guys are doing there were certainly uh, back in March and April some uh, some scary times, and I think it was worse. Everyone didn't know what was going on, so it was yeah. just so much uncertainty at that point, and everything yeah. was more just freezing than anything. But I think once that shock factor uh, kind of um, went away, people kind of got okay. This is going to be around for the next couple of months, possibly years. We'll see. But just dealing with it, and so I, I definitely think we saw some people investing in their homes more. And so, hey, I want to be comfortable in my home and um, smart thermostats say that'll help me when I go downstairs. I don't have to wait for it to be warm or whatever, make sure I'm not wasting energy. So I think we we leveraged that a little bit. The other thing that I think we saw was, and, and this was just right from day one, right? I, I mentioned we were we, we started out on e-commerce and even since then, e-commerce has been our number one sales channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the level of e-commerce uh, because of COVID has just gone through the roof. I don't know if you've seen the charts of growth rates for e-commerce, but it's like step change this year because of COVID. So, uh, so that also is kind of a tailwind for us people, easy to find us uh, yeah. on uh, online. Yeah, for sure. Um, for folks that are going, who want to go into their own thing, you know, in terms of, you know, following their own path, starting their own business, um, you know, creating a career like, you know, something like I have, what, what are kind of some of the major things you think someone should consider when they're about to, to go off on a venture like that? Because I think everyone has that initial momentum of, I'm going to be A, B, or C, and they want to go do their thing. But what's the, What's the reality? Like, what's the 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 dark the darkness and the trench stuff that people need to to know that maybe people don't talk about often? You know, what do you think that stuff is? Well, and we touched on it a little bit uh, a little bit earlier, um, but um, it it really does come down to a lot of perseverance of through some really hard times over a long period of time. So, uh, my advice is, if you're going to be doing this, just prepare yourself mentally physically, financially, like everything (laughs) is going to be hard and it's going to be hard for a lot longer than you think it's going to be. 
um, and you got to persevere through it. Um, but, uh, yeah, perseverance is probably my biggest thing that I could, I could say on that front. It's so interesting because I, I have the same, same conversations with comedians and people in entertainment. It's like, it never, like the concept of like, you know, another level, another devil. It's like, it doesn't matter what level you get to, there's another door you have to try and unlock. And then you unlock that one and you get in that room and you realize there's 30 more doors. And you're like, I got to unlock that door. And I got to like, it just doesn't end. But I think enjoying what you do, that's why it's so important because yeah. there's always going to be fight and struggle and days that are tough. And I think you need that underlying passion of loving what you're doing to just like, I was really lucky that I love the minutia of being a comedian, meaning I like sitting, trying to figure jokes out. I like trying to figure out why a joke didn't work or how to build right. my set in a way that I feel works well together. I like that minutia. I also love on stage performing, adrenalized, big lights and all that too. But I yeah. love that time alone in the dark that no one sees. And I feel sometimes yeah. I'm, I feel lucky that way that I, I still enjoy both those things because in this time right now that we're in where there are no live shows, I'm like, I can still do that other part. You know, I can still work on the minutia part of it. And I feel a lot of folks want that. I want to be at the conference and present. And I'm this person who owns a company. It's like, that's great. But before that comes this dark time alone in your office, trying to figure out how to make payroll. Like, do you know what yeah. I mean? I just feel like those are the days that no one wants to talk about because it's not shiny and pretty and, and uh, energizing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and a little bit related that another just kind of quote that I heard one time and it stuck with me is um, if you're an entrepreneur, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And I almost tell myself that every day, certainly when I was starting out and uh, still every week I'm doing things. I'm like, Oh, I feel uncomfortable. I don't think I'm good enough. I'm, I'm scared, whatever, but you just got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's what it is. Yeah, I agree. And they, they also say, uh, whatever it is, is like, if you're the smartest person in the room, then you need to get in a new room. Right. Yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, Cause you're not learning anything. You're just kind of like, Oh yeah, I can stay in this. But I think as human beings, we love safety, right? We love comfort and a little bit of predictability and stepping outside is uncomfortable and we, we don't necessarily do well, but I think you do have to embrace that discomfort, you know, that, uh, don't know if this is going to work out and I don't really feel a hundred percent me, but uh, here we go. Let's see if it works out. So um, so what's next for the company? What are, what are the things that you, you guys are looking to do um, you know, in the next little while? Yeah, so it's really exciting, right? So we, we started out with this smart thermostat for baseboard heating. That was when we started the company, that was it. That was, that was all we knew was we were going to build right. this smart thermostat. And so went and did that and said, okay, where do we go from here? Right. And so what we've come to learn through talking to existing customers and just more about the landscape in general, there's actually other types of heating systems that have also don't have smart thermostats right now. So one that was kind of similar to baseboard, um, but a little bit different was in-floor heating. Mm -hmm. So like in a bathroom, you have like nice tile uh, heated floor. So after we launched the baseboard one, a year later, we came out with the second product. It looked really similar, but it was for electric in-floor heating. And so oh, that right. was our second product. And so we have two in the market right now. And um, we just announced a couple months ago, our third product is actually Misa for air conditioners. Look and out. So now if you have a, an air conditioner, let's say it's in your window, it could be an air conditioner, like a mini split heat pump. I know mini split heat pumps are super popular uh, in Nova Scotia um, and uh, all, all around the world. So mini split heat pumps could even be an air conditioner that's like sitting on the ground or whatever. Um, if it's controlled by like a little remote, like mm -hmm. you, you use your remote to control the air conditioner, this replaces your remote and gives you full smart control of that air conditioner. So Amazing. we're really excited about it. It's launching uh, next year. We got a large portion of the company heads down working on making the product as great as possible. It's out in beta testing now. And so really excited about that. And, and then even beyond that is just continuing to, to look at more thermostats and how can we help more homeowners save on energy. That's amazing. I, I find that interesting too, the fact of you find something that is successful and rather than go, we just stay in our lane and stay here. You guys went, let's, let's look to expand. Was that, was that always the plan to kind of be open-minded to that? Or was that 
you know, pull one brother pulling the other brother over the line. Like, no, no, we got to seriously, we should look into this. Or, or were you both on the same page from the get on that? So I think we always knew that we wanted to do more products, but in, in a, a very important lesson that I think that I've learned and still learning is that focus is so important. If you try to spread yourself too thin, too fast, that is a recipe for disaster. Uh, so when we launched the baseboard one, we said, this needs to be a hit. We can't go on to the next thing before we ensure that the first one is, is as great as possible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's about taking, understanding when the right opportunity to do something new is. So like I said, we launched the first one in 2018. Um, and so it's not until 2021 that this air conditioner one is coming out. Right. And so um, it, it's about making sure that you're focused on something uh, before you and, and and do a great job and get all your things really solid before you move on to the next thing. Uh, I see yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs and I and we have the scar tissue to prove it that if you don't have focus in the early days, uh, that's a real recipe for disaster. Focus is so important. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, what role do you think trust plays with this kind of stuff in terms of consumer trust because i feel in my line of work especially when you do live shows people work hard they got other stuff going on in their lives people you know they work hard for their money they want to you know if they're going to give that money to someone or buy something they want it to work out well and i've always felt like if 15 people show up to a show then i got to give those 15 people the best show i can you know and that those 15 people will tell another 30 people and so on and i really I adopted that motto pretty early on. For you and what you guys are doing, what do you, what role does consumer trust play in what what you guys do day to day? Huge. Uh, I mean, like, uh, I mean, Amazon is probably the, the biggest proponent of this, but they they all harken back to being customer obsessed and always thinking about the customer. And and we have that same thing at Misa. It's a, one of our what we call strategic anchors, but really just being customer obsessed and focused to make sure that we are delivering uh, a great product. And and so just one of the examples in, in the way that we embed that into our company. So obviously, so customer reviews. We have we have this we have sl- this uh, software called Slack, and we have this channel where every single customer review feeds into this channel, and every single one of our employees, every six, 76 of them, are seeing this channel and seeing the reviews come in and live. So they'll see the positive five star reviews, which most of our reviews are. We got like over three thousand reviews now, and four and a half stars. But you still got those one-star reviews that come in, those two-star reviews come in. And a lot of them are really valid concerns. Customers having not a great time. And I, it's so important to take that feedback and say, all right, how are we going to improve this so that this another customer in the future doesn't have a negative experience? So uh, I think we call it like the... It's like a customer feedback stream like it's a river of feedback just from customers and just right. bringing it in all the time and just focus to make sure the product is as great as possible yeah because you can live in a bit of a vacuum i would imagine when you're so focused on the day-to-day and operations of a company <clears throat> it sounds insane but i would imagine you can live in that little bubble and go well the majority of the feedback has been great we don't need to keep checking in with that kind of stuff clearly we're doing the right thing but those people matter too. And when they feel like they matter, I know that's the way it's been for me. If I've had poor customer service or poor experience, if someone's gone bent over backwards to fix that, I yeah. they've actually gained my trust and I would probably go use them again as opposed to, yeah. well, the first time I used it, it didn't work very well. Well, they, they fixed it. And uh, that that has built a relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so crucial. Yeah. And people, people, I think sometimes people are afraid of people. You know, it's like, oh God, they're they saying are. something critical. It's like, oh, I don't want to hear that. It's like, no, but that could make the company better. It could make my comedy better. It could make what we're doing better. Um, and the other thing I realized quickly, I don't know if you guys have had these conversations, but I realized like some people thought the Beatles sucked, you know? So it's like, what chance do the rest of us have to be loved by, you know, a hundred percent of everybody? <laughs> so, you know, so I go, I'm doing my best. And I understand also that I am not for everybody. And that's also okay. 
Absolutely. Right. I mean, even so, especially when it comes to like, so art and, and art obviously gets into design, right? Design is a subjective thing. Right. And so um, we have a kind of a clean, modern, minimalistic design philosophy uh, with our products, but not everybody likes that. Uh, right. Some people, I want a clock on my thermostat and I want this, I want this gadget and I want to be able to all this other stuff. And, and you can't please everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So you seem like a guy who's pretty plugged in. You, you obviously, you know, you guys are working hard there. What's your escape from all this? How do you, how do you unplug and go, okay, that's it. Works done for the day. Are you a guy living off your phone 24 seven? Are you, what, what is, how do you unplug and turn it all off or do you? Yeah, I'm uh, I find it hard to unplug. I am a kind of live it all the time. Um, almost connected 24 seven. And when I'm not connected, I feel like I'm missing a limb. Um, so I am that connected kind of always type of person. Um, but, uh, yeah, I got some, like, I'm, I'm huge into to music. I've, I've always been into music since, uh, age of seven and, and played music, uh, growing up. And so that's been an escape from time to time. I got other kind of interests, like, uh, I'm huge into, uh, space. And so like following along on Elon Musk and SpaceX and like, what are the cool things that they're doing? I'm watching right. every YouTube video that I can to understand what's happening there. And, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I, I, when I talk to comedians too, we often think we sometimes to be successful at something, you almost have to be borderline obsessed with it. Like it's just driven singular focus. But I also realized I've had some of my most creative moments when I'm not in that mode, when I'm literally on a vacation, looking at a sunset, uh, driving somewhere. It's amazing where ideas come from. And don't get me wrong. I've had plenty sitting down with a pen and paper and trying to, you know, bang out some idea. But it's amazing how when you kind of turn your mind off and just shift focus slightly to give your brain a break, how other ideas come come flying in there. Have you had that happen at all? Absolutely. I just this past summer, uh, I guess with the uh, restriction of travels and my, my wife and I, we got to uh, do some more exploring around Newfoundland. So for the first time, we made it all the way down to Bergio. Nice. And uh, we got to check out the the beaches there in Bergio and we camped out there and we were there for a couple of days and it's just so beautiful. And I had a couple of those moments like you're talking about, it's like, Oh wow, that I have an idea. And yeah. you weren't thinking about it. It just kind of came to you and you were out of it. But uh, yeah. It's amazing how it works. Yeah. Well, dude, thanks so much for your time, man. I learned a ton about the company and about you and I think uh, listeners will as well and uh, all the best with it. And we will chat again down the road. I'm sure. Awesome, man. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thanks, you friend. Too. You too. Take care. There it is, my chat with Josh Green. Uh, yeah, really enjoyed that one. Learned a ton. Learned a ton from that guy, and I'm sure you did too. Um, as always, thanks again for listening. Uh, I hope you're well, I hope you're safe and, uh, don't forget to keep, uh, listen to the podcast every single week. Don't forget to subscribe. However you do it. Thanks to all the crew that put the podcast for together for me and, uh, um, work so hard behind the scenes. I appreciate all their work and I appreciate you guys for listening. Have a fantastic week. Find something to laugh at. I'll talk to you next week. All right. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.